Hello and welcome to the November 2014 edition of the Lesbian Gay Lionels podcast. I am Matt Skinner, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar Association of Greater New York. With me as always is Professor Art Leonard of New York Law School, the Chief Editor and Writer of Lesbian Gay Lionels, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest legal and legislative developments affecting the LGBT community here and abroad. Just a reminder, if you're listening to us on iTunes and enjoying our program, please do take a minute to rate us highly so that we will continue to gain more listeners. All right, first up, I was just saying to Art, uh, the last podcast was posted uh, the day before we had some uh, big news, so uh, we've got a lot to cover from what happened since then. Right. Uh, During October, I think you could accurately say that the dam burst on marriage equality, and uh, I put together a chronology, which I'm going to be referring to. Uh, it's almost every day in October something was happening, and on some days multiple things were happening. So to try to bring us up to date, uh, the, uh, at the beginning of October, same-sex couples could get married in 19 states plus the District of Columbia. Uh, then on October 3rd, just a few days later, a state judge in Jackson County, Missouri, J. Dale Youngs, ruled that the state of Missouri had to recognize same-sex marriages contracted elsewhere. But that was the only issue before him. So we still had 19 states in which you could marry, but we had uh, an additional state where marriages would be recognized. But then on October 6th, right, October 6th was the first Tuesday, uh, first Monday in, yep. in uh, October, yep. which is the first day of the Supreme Court term. And the Supreme Court announced that it would not grant the petitions for certiorari in any of the pending marriage equality cases. And as is customary with the Supreme Court, they didn't say anything about it. They just it just included on a list of cert denials. Uh, so there were uh, cert petitions pending uh, from the Tenth Circuit from the states of Utah and Oklahoma. There was a cert petition pending uh, from uh, Wisconsin and Indiana in the Seventh Circuit, and there were a whole bunch of cert petitions pending from the Fourth Circuit in the Virginia case. Uh, all of those cases, uh, the courts of appeals had ruled that the state bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional, but the decisions had been stayed either by the uh, courts themselves or by the Supreme Court pending some decision on the cert petitions. So the Supreme Court denied all the cert petitions, and by the end of the day, people get married yeah. in many of those states. It took a day or two for it to go into effect everywhere. But we added five states in one fell swoop on October 6th. But hold your horses. October 7th. On October 7th, uh, the first development was in Colorado that morning. Uh, There had been a federal district court decision uh, holding that the Colorado ban on same-sex marriage was unconstitutional. Uh, uh, It was a – actually, it was a state state court ruling, and the Supreme Court had stayed it at the request of the Attorney General while we waited to see what was going on with the Tenth Circuit. Gifts of the Tenth Circuit cases pending, and Colorado's in the Tenth Circuit – so uh, the day after the Supreme Court denied cert in the Tenth Circuit cases, the Attorney General of Colorado petitioned the Supreme Court to lift the stay. He said, clearly, it will be a waste of our time to appeal this to the Tenth Circuit. Right. So we had marriage equality in uh, Colorado, state number 25, on October 7th. But later that day, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals issued its decision in the Nevada and Idaho marriage equality cases. A three-judge panel ruled unanimously that the Nevada and Idaho bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional, uh, adding states number 26 and number 27, uh, 
the story there was that in Nevada, uh, the state government had concluded as a result of the Ninth Circuit's ruling back in January that heightened scrutiny applies to sexual orientation claims. Uh, the attorney general and the governor had agreed that that meant that uh, their marriage ban was no longer defensible. So the state was not putting on a defense of the merits in the Nevada case. A group called the Coalition to Protect Marriage was allowed to intervene. These were uh, people who had been uh, working behind the scenes to get the uh, Nevada Marriage Amendment passed. And so they were allowed to intervene in the case. Uh, so they reacted to the Ninth Circuit decision by seeking a stay because uh, they wanted to petition for on-bank reconsideration. Uh, so they asked for a stay. The Ninth Circuit wouldn't give them a stay. They filed an emergency application with the U.S. Supreme Court seeking a stay. The Supreme Court wasn't going to give them a stay. Uh, so the Nevada decision went into effect. Then the Idaho decision, Governor Butch Otter of Idaho also wanted a stay. Uh, he also wanted to file a, an on-bank petition with the Ninth Circuit. Uh, Ninth Circuit wouldn't stay at Idaho. He petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court. They denied the application. Uh, sort of interesting. Before October 6, any time they were asked, the Supreme Court was willing to stay a marriage equality ruling. After October 6, they've been unwilling, and not just in Nevada and uh, in Idaho. Although Justice Kennedy temporarily... Temp well, he, he was going to refer to the full court right. uh, to see how they wanted to proceed, so it, it took a day or two. And he mistakenly... Yeah. Uh, in his, his first temporary order listed both states, Nevada and Idaho, even though he was responding only to the Idaho petition at that yeah. point. So it's sort of strange. But eventually, by the end of the week, we had uh, same-sex marriage in Nevada and Idaho. Yeah. As I said, numbers 26 and 27. And it's worth commenting just briefly about the Ninth Circuit opinion, uh, which was written by Judge Stephen Reinhardt. Uh, Judge Reinhardt wrote an opinion, and then wrote another opinion concurring in his opinion. <laughs> so he wrote an opinion for the three-judge panel, uh, which was unanimous, which said that the ban on uh, same-sex marriage in both states uh, violated the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause using the Ninth Circuit's heightened scrutiny approach for sexual orientation claims. Then he wrote a concurring, concurring opinion saying he also alternatively could have ruled on a due process basis that the right to marry is a fundamental right and that the uh, state justifications had not been sufficient to uh, uphold uh, abridging that fundamental right, but his was the only vote for that. So that was a concurrence. And then uh, Judge Marsha Burson wrote a concurring opinion saying that she was persuaded by the sex discrimination argument, the argument that uh, by banning same-sex marriage, the state was creating a sex-based classification because who you could marry depended on what your sex was and what your partner's sex right. was. So sex discrimination claims get heightened scrutiny. So she didn't even have to rely on the sexual orientation heightened scrutiny. She could uh, do it based on the sex discrimination heightened scrutiny. So very interesting decision from the Ninth Circuit there. Uh, so following up on what happened with the Supreme Court on October 6th and the Ninth Circuit on October 7th, what we had were circuit court opinions which apply to the particular states in which they were raised, but there are other states in those circuits. And so the question was, how quickly would we proceed to marriage equality in the remaining states? Uh, in the Seventh Circuit, we had a clean sweep because Illinois passed a marriage equality law the previous year, mm -hmm. and the only other states in the circuit, it Wisconsin and Indiana, which were the states covered by the uh, Seventh Circuit decision. 
but in the Tenth Circuit and in the Fourth Circuit, we had quite a few other states. And so one reason that October was such a wild and woolly month with things happening almost every day was that we had developments unfolding simultaneously in all the other states in the Fourth and Tenth Circuits and the Ninth Circuit yeah. uh, as a result of the uh, Court of Appeals decision. So just to quickly review what was happening there, uh, one thing that happened was uh, the day after the Supreme Court uh, grant, uh, or not grant, rejection of review in the Tenth Circuit cases, uh, the chief administrative judge in Douglas County, Kansas, directed the district uh, court in Douglas County to start issuing marriage licenses, which uh, really upset Attorney General Derek Schmidt, who ran right to the state Supreme Court and said, you've got to stop this, you've got to stop this. So the Supreme Court temporarily stopped it. And uh, there was uh, some byplay in some other counties as well. And ultimately, the Supreme Court uh, scheduled an oral argument for November 6th. So on the date when we were actually taking this podcast, the Kansas Supreme Court will be hearing oral arguments on marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Also on October 7th, the district judge in West Virginia, who was presiding over the marriage equality case there, uh, Robert Chambers, lifted a stay of proceedings. He had stayed the proceedings to see what the Supreme Court was doing with the Fourth Circuit case. So he lifted the stay and notified the parties uh, that they should promptly submit their arguments on a pending summary judgment motion. Uh, the attorney general and the governor, uh, they agreed. They said, why should we spend time litigating a, 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 a summary judgment motion or a preliminary injunction? We've lost. The Supreme Court won't review the Fourth Circuit case. We throw in the towel. So marriage licenses actually got started uh, by October 10th in West Virginia. So chalk up another Fourth Circuit state. Uh, On October 8th in South Carolina, uh, District Judge J. Michelle Childs, who uh, had put a case on hold to see what would happen in the Fourth Circuit, uh, took the case off hold and set things in motion for consideration of summary judgment motions, but she didn't schedule oral arguments. She said, submit your papers on summary judgment by late October. I'll take a look at them. I'll decide if I need a hearing, and if so, I'll schedule one, but otherwise I'll decide it on the papers. So uh, those papers were filed, I think, around October 22nd, and uh, sometime in November we expect to hear from Judge Childs. On October 9th, the South Carolina Supreme Court uh, by petition of the Attorney General, ordered the local magistrate to stop issuing marriage licenses. One of the consequences we had of the Supreme Court decision not to decide (laughs) was that various clerks who wanted to issue marriage licenses thought, why can't I just go ahead, even though my state uh, didn't have a ruling, because my state's in one of these circuits. And, you know, we had that in several places. And so we had one in South Carolina. We had a local judge who wanted to issue a magistrate who wanted to issue marriage licenses. And the South Carolina Supreme Court said, oh, hold your horses. We've got some cases pending. Marriage equality cases are pending in this state. Wait for them to be decided. Uh, Same thing happened in Kansas on October 10th. As I already mentioned, the Supreme Court halted the issuance of licenses. Uh, In North Carolina, there was a case on file, uh, General Synod of uh, the uh, United Church of Christ and a, a bunch of religious organizations had filed the case was pending before District Judge Max O. Cogburn, Jr., and it had just been recently filed. I don't think they even had a summary judgment motion on file. So Judge Cogburn, seeing what happened with the Fourth Circuit, he said, well, why should I wait? So he decided on his own motion to grant summary judgment to the plaintiffs and uh, to order North Carolina 
uh, in the Fourth Circuit to start issuing marriage licenses. Well, the Attorney General of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, had already said, based on the Fourth Circuit's decision, before the Supreme Court even uh, denied review, had already said he agreed with the Fourth Circuit and he thought that the marriage ban was not defensible. So his reaction to uh, Judge Cogburn's ruling was to say, well, that ruling has statewide effect. So I'm going to direct that the, uh, the clerks start issuing marriage licenses. So we picked up North Carolina State Number 29. Uh, then on October 10th, also later that day, the Ninth Circuit announced that the decision, marriage equality decision from Hawaii from 2012, where a federal judge had rejected marriage equality claim, which had been appealed to the Ninth Circuit uh, by the plaintiffs in that case and, ha and was still pending and had been argued the same time as the other Ninth Circuit cases, they said they decided that Hawaii's passage of a marriage equality law late in 2013 had effectively mooted that case. And so the only real judgment issue for the Ninth Circuit on it was, do we vacate the district court's opinion or do we let it stand? And they said, there's no reason to let it stand. We just decided the other day yeah. that the bans on same-sex marriage are unconstitutional. So they vacated the trial court's decision. It will be depublished. Uh, I'm not sure how you purge from the printed volumes. Yeah. I'm sure FedSub has gotten <laughs> past 2012. Yeah. But maybe they'll delete it from the uh, electronic database. Yeah. So that's the end of the Hawaii case uh, on October 10th. On October 12th, uh, District Judge Timothy M. Burgess in Alaska, yeah. he had held an argument uh, a few days before, and uh, he said, you know, I'll, I'll issue a ruling on a preliminary injunction or su summary judgment soon. Well, he surprised everybody by issuing it on Sunday, October 12th. Federal courts are not, not usually open on Sunday. But he felt a sense of urgency. He said there are constitutional <laughs> rights at stake, no reason to wait. I finished writing my opinion. I'm going to release it today. Yeah. So he released his opinion, sending uh, the state government in Alaska into a little panic. Uh, they uh, immediately applied to the Ninth Circuit. They want to stay while uh, they consider their appeal. Uh, the Ninth Circuit temporarily stayed the decision briefly. Uh, but they said only to give you a chance to ask the U.S. Supreme Court for a stay because now that we've decided that same-sex marriage bans are unconstitutional, we see no real good reason to stay trial court decisions in this circuit. Uh, so Alaska appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which said, you kidding me, basically. Go away. Yeah. Don't bother us with these state petitions. <laughs> so uh, it went into effect in Alaska. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the state has petitioned the Ninth Circuit to go directly to an on-bank review. Uh, and that is similar to what uh, Butch Otter is asking for from Idaho and also the coalition uh, from Nevada. And they're, they're all saying a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit has decided this case. It, it's a waste of time for us to appeal our local marriage equality rulings to the Ninth Circuit because any panel of the Ninth Circuit will be bound by the panel decision. Yeah. So we should go directly to on-bank. Uh, so they're all asking for on-bank review. Now, I think it's unlikely, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the population of that circuit in terms of judges is now heavily consisting of judges appointed by President Obama and President Clinton. They totally outnumber the Bush judges. Yeah. I don't know of anyone who was appointed by Reagan is still there. Oh, Scanlon. Oh, Scanlon. Okay. He's the one who dissents in every yes, uh, decision on bank review. So, uh, <laughs> so there's, and, and there's, there's an interesting sidelight on the uh, coalition uh, petition for on-bank review. Uh, 
they hired someone to do a statistical analysis of judge assignments on panels in the Ninth Circuit. And they said, it's, it's beyond coincidence that Judge Reinhardt is assigned to so many of these panels yeah. and Judge Burson, you know. And they, they said, we think that the Ninth Circuit should not leave this decision with that panel, that they should take it up because that panel is stacked yeah. in favor of marriage equality. Uh, so that's that. So that was uh, uh, Judge Burgess in Alaska. So we added Alaska. Uh, then uh, back to North Carolina, where there was a case pending before a different federal district judge, uh, William L. Osteen, Jr., who also had the summary judgment motion pending. And he granted the summary judgment motions on October 14th, sort of after the fact, as Judge Cogburn had granted a motion just a few days before. But he did something that uh, makes it possible that this case will still live on for a while. Uh, he had, just a few days before, denied a motion by state legislative leaders to intervene. They wanted to intervene because Attorney General Cooper was saying he's not going to defend the marriage ban. So the state legislative leaders had uh, moved to intervene. Uh, Judge Osteen had denied their motion. But on October 14th, when he issued the uh, summary judgment, he also issued a new order allowing them to intervene. He said, since the Attorney General clearly isn't going to appeal my case, he's not appealing the other case, if someone wants to appeal, the legislative leaders want to appeal, no skin off my back, let them appeal. They're just going to run into a, a buzzsaw at the Fourth Circuit anyway. Yeah. But, you know, they can appeal. The, the Fourth Circuit decided this by a three-judge panel. Uh, the state of Virginia was not defending on the merits, and no one asked for on-bank review in the Fourth Circuit, I don't think. So maybe they'll ask for on-bank review. Because even though the Supreme Court denied cert, that's not a ruling on the merits, and presumably... You know, you could, you could get an on-bank review, perhaps. But I, I looked at the Fourth Circuit, and I think President Obama has made a lot of appointments to the Fourth Circuit. So it, it used to be a very conservative circuit, yeah. but it is no longer. All right, October 15th, South Carolina. All right. People were getting a little perturbed with Judge Childs. You know, she's putting things off. She's saying, give you a few weeks to file papers, and maybe in November I'll rule. Yeah. Lambda Legal had a client. I mean, they have a couple. They have a couple who were going to get a marriage license from this judge who was going to do it. And then the Supreme Court said the judge can't do it. So Lambda Legal filed a new case in federal district court in a different district, signed to a different judge and on October 15th, and promptly moved for summary judgment on October 22nd. So there's a summary judgment motion pending before another judge, not Judge Childs, who maybe will move faster. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Next development was on October 16th in Arizona. Right, we had two cases pending in Arizona that had been uh, consolidated before District Judge John W. Sedwick. Uh, Sedwick actually is a member of the uh, Alaska District Court, uh, but he's a senior judge, and evidently he summers in Arizona, and he sort of pinch hits, and he gets assigned a lot of cases as a visiting judge yeah. in the District Court in Arizona. So he issued decisions in the two pending marriage cases. He granted summary judgment for the plaintiffs. Uh, and Attorney General Tom Horn immediately announced, he says, appeal would be futile. We'd be appealing to the Ninth Circuit. We know what the Ninth Circuit thinks. You know, by this date, we know what the Ninth Circuit thinks. They're not granting stays. Not. So we will just comply. We're not going to waste more time. So we picked up Arizona. It became state number 30 on uh, October 16th. And on October 17th, the Supreme Court denied the stay in the Alaska case. So Alaska became state number 31. All right, and, uh, but October 17th was a very busy day. 
on October 17th. In Wyoming, U.S. District Judge Scott Skovdal granted summary judgment to the plaintiffs, and he stayed his decision until October 23, or until the state certifies it won't appeal. Well, it didn't take until October 23. By October 21st, the state had indicated they weren't going to appeal. It would be futile in the Tenth Circuit. So uh, we picked up Wyoming as the 32nd marriage equality state on October 21st. Uh, on October 17th, Attorney General Eric Holder announced that the federal government will now recognize same-sex marriages in Utah, Oklahoma, Colorado, Virginia, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Nevada. Good news for people with potential Social Security claims in those states or uh, potential Veterans Benefits claims or Family and Medical Leave Act issues because those have been the sticking points where the failure of a state to recognize marriages from other states would deny certain federal benefits. Uh, but uh, another important development, which I'll be mentioning shortly, is there's litigation against that that's going on. Also on October 17th, in South Dakota, U.S. District Judge Karen Schreier heard oral arguments on a summary judgment motion in a pending marriage equality case uh, as part of the mopping up expedition in the Tenth Circuit. Uh, she said a written opinion would be issued soon, but as of the end of October, there has been no written opinion. So uh, it, it's, it's sort of odd because soon, according to some judges, means over the weekend after I have a hearing on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> but evidently for others, it takes a little longer. Uh, all right. On October 21st, a setback, a surprise. Uh, U.S. District Judge Juan M. Perez Jimenez in Puerto Rico dismissed a marriage equality case that was brought by Lambda Legal. He said, back in 1972, the Supreme Court said in Baker versus Nelson, a case from Minnesota, that same-sex marriage does not present a substantial federal question. Therefore, how can I rule? How can I entertain this case? Especially when in 2012, in GLAD's Gay and Lesbian Advocate and Defenders Challenge to DOMA in the First Circuit, the First Circuit, in what I think has to be characterized as dicta in that case, said that Baker versus Nelson was still binding on the questions it decided, but that those questions were not central to deciding the DOMA challenge, which presented a different issue, whether the federal government could refuse to recognize marriages that are allowed by a state. Different question. It rises under the Fifth Amendment, not the Fourteenth Amendment. So it was dicta in the case for them to say that Baker versus Nelson is still a valid precedent. But... Puerto Rico is in the First Circuit, and Judge uh, Perez Jimenez said it's binding on me as a district judge. He went on also to uh, credit the state's arguments about uh, procreation and all this kind of stuff, but that's beside the point. He was really dismissing on the grounds that there's circuit precedent. So now the First Circuit's going to get another crack at what it thinks about Baker versus Nelson, because Lambda Legal promptly announced they would appeal. They characterized this as an aberrant decision. It certainly departs from the near unanimity. The only other setback we've had since Windsor was in Louisiana. That one's on appeal to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, right, so that was October 21st. The next day, Lambda Legal filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in D.C. against the Social Security Administration for refusing to recognize a same-sex marriage uh, of a surviving spouse who wanted to get the death benefit and the uh, spousal benefits under Social Security. And, uh, in fact, I just saw a press release, I think yesterday, they filed another one of these in one of the other federal districts. And I've got a feeling there are going to be suits all around the country 
uh, and I, I don't see how, under the Windsor decision, the Social Security Administration's position can be upheld. I mean, they're, they're saying we have a statute that says we have to define marriage according to state law. Uh, but I think that uh, that would probably be struck down yeah. eventually. So, uh, but we're going to see a lot of lawsuits around the country. We already have, I think there are lawsuits already on the veterans benefit thing. On October 22 in Mississippi, U.S. District Judge Carlton W. Reeves heard first arguments in a new marriage equality case that had just been filed. Uh, it, it's not one of the organizations filing this one. It's uh, Robbie Kaplan who argued the Windsor case in the Supreme Court and who's been looking to get into a marriage equality case. She put together a team in Mississippi. They found some plaintiffs. They filed suit. I was a little confused because we had said there was a case in every state a couple there months was. ago. There was another case in Mississippi. And then, but everyone kept, some of the headlines then mischaracterized it as yeah. this was just been yeah. the only there, case There was some sort of case, but I think the case in Mississippi was a recognition case, okay. and this is a right to marry yeah, case yeah, yeah. and okay. a recognition case. So this was filed on October uh, 22, and Judge Reeves has scheduled a hearing on the summary judgment motion for November 12th. So we would expect developments in Mississippi in November. Yeah. Uh, then on October 25th, Attorney General Holder made another announcement. He said, okay, we're recognizing marriages in Alaska, Arizona, Idaho, North Carolina, West Virginia, and Wyoming. So every time we pick up a few more states, then the, the Justice Department looks things over, and then they announce that now for federal purposes we're going to recognize marriages in those states. Uh, on October 27th, the Fifth Circuit announced that they would be combining the oral arguments in the Texas and Louisiana cases. Texas, uh, the court ruled in favor of marriage equality. Louisiana, they ruled against. Both cases are up on appeal to the Fifth Circuit. So they're going to hear arguments during the first week of January 2015, which I suppose for the First Circuit is expeditious. But people, some people involved with these cases expressed some disappointment because they thought that perhaps the circuit would hold arguments in October or November. I mean, it would be nice if people won marriage equality before December 31st to get married, yeah. if they want to get married for tax purposes during the current year. It's nice if they have a decision oh, before. Yeah. But uh, so they, they put it off. In a recently filed challenge uh, to the Kansas marriage ban, uh, this is one of those that was filed after the Supreme Court denied cert in the Tenth Circuit case as part of the mopping up operation in the Tenth Circuit. Uh, so Judge Crabtree heard argument on October 31st. On November 4th, he issued a summary judgment and a, a preliminary injunction for the plaintiffs and said that it would be stayed for a week to give the state a chance to uh, decide whether to appeal or to seek a, a stay from a higher court. The state announced they were appealing. The Tenth Circuit denied a stay. So Kansas, as of the time we're taping this, Kansas has an emergency motion in with the Supreme Court seeking a stay. Uh, but in the meantime, marriage licenses are available in, uh, in Kansas City. So, uh, or will be as of uh, November 11th, unless the Supreme Court stays it. Uh, but that's not all. The, uh, the first week of November turned out to be a real humdinger because on November 6th, we finally got that ruling from the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, exactly three months after it was argued and exactly one month after the Supreme Court denied review in the decisions from the 4th, 7th, and 10th circuits. Uh, and uh, this uh, was cases, uh, six different cases, consolidated for argument from Ohio, Michigan, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and the 6th Circuit voted 2 to 1 in favor of the states against the plaintiffs. 
Judge Jeffrey Sutton, who wrote the opinion, said that Baker versus Nelson, that old decision from 1971, in which the Supreme Court said that the issue of same-sex marriage does not raise a substantial federal question, is still binding. And he said uh, in his opinion that Windsor doesn't change that because in Windsor the Supreme Court did not, not mention Baker, did not overrule it, and did not hold that same-sex couples do have a right to marry. So he said uh, the uh, Sixth Circuit is bound to follow Baker. And he could have ended his decision right there, but no, he went on and said, and furthermore, the states have a rational basis for refusing to extend marriage to same-sex couples. And he wrote a very conservative, originalist, uh, judicial restraint sort of opinion, saying in the end that this is a political question to be resolved in the legislative process. Well, like in all of the cases where we've lost, he does he talks again about how there's a rational reason to let straight people marry, which everyone agrees. But it's, he doesn't talk about why there's a rational re- reason t- to deny same-sex couples the right to marry. You know? Yes. And in, in other words, this was an irrational decision yeah. on the issue of rational basis. Yeah. Uh, and he was called out by dissenting Judge Martha Daughtry, who said, "Look." Uh, the other circuits have rejected every argument that the states have made in this case. She quoted at length from Judge Posner in the Seventh Circuit. Uh, she quoted at length from the uh, concurring opinion by Judge Burson in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, she said it's so obvious what the right answer is here and uh, that the, uh, the majority of the court seemed to be treating the plaintiffs as abstract entities rather than human beings who are suffering something from being denied the right to marry. So at any rate... Uh, she had quite a snarky beginning to right. her opinion as yes. well, comparing uh, the comparing majority Comparing it to opinion. a TED Talk. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that was funny. Yes. But uh, the important thing is that this gives the opening to get this issue to the Supreme Court and to short-circuit the process because uh, we still don't have any uh, decisions from uh, the Courts of Appeals in the Fifth Circuit, the Eleventh Circuit, uh, the Eighth Circuit. So... Uh, Now we have a circuit split, a post-Windsor circuit split of the kind that Justice Ginsburg predicted would force the Supreme Court to grant review. The attorneys from all of six six cases here had a telephone conference. We should make that clear that there's not actually just one Sixth Circuit case. All of them are filing separate cert briefs. They'll all file separate cert petitions. They all agreed not to file motions for rehearing on bank, which would be a ridiculous waste of time in the Sixth Circuit since 10 out of the 15 active judges were appointed by Republican presidents. It's one of the few circuits that hasn't been substantially affected by President Obama's uh, judicial appointments. So uh, we can see the likelihood that there will be an argument in the Supreme Court this term. Not definite. You can never tell with the Supreme Court, but it seems pretty likely that they'll grant at least one of the cert petitions. Uh, And that November 6th development from the Sixth Circuit was not the end of the week because the following day we got our first district court decision in the Eighth Circuit. Uh, This time it was from uh, Federal District Judge Ortry Smith in uh, Missouri. And uh, interestingly, just earlier that week, a state judge in Missouri had ruled in favor of plaintiffs in a marriage equality case, but that only applied in the particular county where the state judge was. Uh, Now we have a federal district judge ruling Uh, And so uh, Attorney General Chris Coster announced that he would appeal it to the Eighth Circuit but would not seek a stay. Uh, So the decision is not stayed, and in fact marriage licenses were being distributed on Friday afternoon, November 7th, in Jackson County in uh, the state of Kansas, uh, state of Missouri. Uh, We also had a ruling on November 7th in West Virginia from the federal district court there, but that was just sort of uh, confirming what was already the facts on the ground. 
because the governor and attorney general had capitulated shortly after the Supreme Court denied cert in the Fourth Circuit, uh, since the Fourth Circuit includes West Virginia. So they've been getting marriage licenses there for several weeks now. Uh, so as we end the the month of October and the first week of November, we're up around 33 states if you count Missouri. And uh, I think you have to count Missouri at this point because all you have to do is travel to one or two counties oh, yeah. and you can get your marriage license there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Art. A lot to uh, cover. Uh, we're going to take a short break. and we come back, we will talk about a case from the D.C. Court of Appeals involving whether a straight man's sexual orientation is relevant to whether or not he abused a, another man. All right, we are back discussing J.O. versus O.E., a D.C. Court of Appeals case involving whether evidence that a man is heterosexual has any relevance to whether he sexually assaulted another man. Art, can you tell us about this case? Yes, this, is, this is a bit odd, uh, and this is a decision, as, uh, as Matt said, by the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, which is the highest, the equivalent of a state Supreme Court yeah. in the District of Columbia. This isn't the D.C. Circuit. Uh, so uh, the parties are only identified by their initials. Uh, the uh, plaintiff who has, well, I guess he's, he's the complaining party, uh, J.O. Uh, and uh, he lived in the basement of a house in the district. And in the summer of 2012, another guy named, by the, identified by the court as O.E., moved into an apartment on a higher floor. And after O.E. moved in, J.O. filed a petition in the trial court for a civil protection order. He said that O.A. is harassing him. He said uh, stalking and threatening and sexual advances. And the court issued a two-week temporary protection order requiring O.E. to vacate the the residence pending a hearing on this uh, order of protection. And at the hearing, J.O. testified about three specific incidents of sexual harassment and assault. He claimed that O.E. had exposed himself to J.O., had propositioned him for sex, had physically assaulted him, and had threatened him with trouble in connection with J.O.'s supposed status as an undocumented immigrant. It was like, you know, you you submit to my sexual advances or I'm going to call the immigration service on you, that kind of thing. Uh, O.E. gets on the stand, denies it all, and says, and besides, I'm straight. I have no sexual interest in this man. You know, I'm straight. And he was, like, really firm about this over and over again. I'm straight. I'm not, I'm not gay. Uh, now, the trial judge said, uh, this isn't irrelevant, because why would a straight man be making sexual propositions to another man? I don't see how, you know, if he doesn't have a homosexual orientation, well, he's not going to approach J.O. for sex, says the trial judge. Uh, he says, now, obviously, I cannot say what does a homosexual look like. No such thing exists. It's an orientation in the person, and he has strongly, steadfastly, with great conviction, indicated that he's not so oriented. So the judge denied uh, the permanent uh, order of protection, and J.O. appealed. And the Court of Appeals said, well, you know, this is sort of strange. Uh, They said the, the judge's explanation for denying the civil protection order, uh, says, uh, you know, we're uncertain, we're in doubt about whether the judge fulfilled his obligation to base his decision on the correct legal principles. 
you know, it's supposed to do a credibility determination, but the fact that the uh, alleged harasser swears in court the straight, what inference do you draw from that? They said uh, the syllogism regarding O.E. not being a homosexual, thereby concluding O.E. would not approach J.O. for sex, they said that was, that was problematic. They said it's simplistic, it's unsound. Uh, and Judge Glickman, writing for the court, uh, said that, they, well, there's no doubt that same-sex sexual assaults and harassment are committed, not infrequently, by individuals who claim they're straight. He said this, this reflects the fact that strong sexual attraction may coexist with a refusal or inability to acknowledge it. You know, uh, sexual assaults may have motives other than sexual attraction. They may be committed with intent to abuse, humiliate, harass, or degrade a victim. So there's no necessary inference to be drawn here uh, that uh, uh, O.E. is more credible than J.O. because he's straight. He may not be straight. He may be a closet case, you know, or he may be taking out his internal fears on J.O. or assaulting him for other reasons. So the court says, got to send this one back. Can't uh, can't deny J.O. his uh, protection order on such flimsy evidence. So interesting case. Yeah, not one, uh, not an issue you see every day, but uh, yeah. <laughs> interesting and uh, good result, I think. Um, all right, we'll take another short break, and when we return, we'll be discussing a landmark determination from the Office of Special Counsel of Transgender Discrimination. We are back discussing the case of T- Tamara Lasardi, a transgender civilian employee for the Department of the Army. Uh, can you tell us about what happened with her issue? Yeah, uh, and, and this is a particularly significant case because it arises under the Civil Service Reform Act and presents the question whether uh, a federal employer discriminating against a transgender employee is violating the non-discrimination requirements of that act which do not specify forbidden grounds, uh, such as sex or race or anything. Uh, rather, it says that you can't discriminate against someone for a reason that's unrelated, for conduct that's unrelated to their work performance. And so uh, extending this to cover transgender federal employees is an important step. Uh, so Tamara Lissardi uh, worked at the U.S. Army Aviation and Missile Research Center Development and Engineering Center in Alabama and was transitioning uh, from a, uh, had been hired with a male gender expression and was transitioning transitioning to female gender expression and uh, ran into what she felt was a hostile environment, uh, issues about which restroom she uses. You know, those tend to rear their heads in cases where employees transition, but also uh, repeatedly referring to her by her birth name, her male name, using male pronouns, she said they were excessively monitoring her conversations with coworkers. She felt that a hostile environment had developed, and she filed a discrimination complaint. And the Office of Special Counsel rules on discrimination claims uh, that are asserted under the Civil Service Reform Act, which was uh, passed in 1978. Uh, so in this case, uh, they found that there was discrimination, that this is uh, based on conduct unrelated to her work performance, 
uh, and the Army has agreed in settlement of this case to provide workplace diversity and sensitivity training with a specific focus on LGBT individuals. And all restrictions on uh, Ms. Lasardi's restroom use have been lifted. Uh, and this is an important case also because it's a project of the Transgender Law Center. And, you know, it takes, takes guts to take on the government. And uh, it's a, a major breakthrough here. Uh, there is also a separate proceeding pending before the EEOC. Uh, and the EEOC, as we know, has adopted the view that the sex discrimination ban under the Federal Civil Rights Act encompasses gender identity discrimination cases as well. And I guess there's no no one here to appeal. I mean, it's the final. Who would appeal this? The government is well, saying, admitting that there was discrimination. So they well, the Office of Special Counsel. You know, the the Army could try to appeal this further within the administrative bureaucracy. Uh, but the point is that uh, if you go to the EEOC, you would have an appeal up probably through the Justice Department, I right. think, in, yeah. in a public uh, employed case. But the Justice Department has gone on record the in the Macy right. case as well, which was the EEOC case that set the uh, the precedent. Uh, so I think this is a case that the Army has just got to get with the program. Yeah, right yeah. All right, more good news. Uh, we'll take our last short break, uh, and when we we'll return, we'll be discussing less good news. Uh, we'll be talking about where this election uh, has left the LGBT community. All right, we are back to wrap up with our of note segment for this edition. Uh, tough week for Democrats uh, with the 2014 election. Um, Art, where, where do we where do we stand now with uh, well, with where, our election? Where do we stand? Uh, well, in terms of the House of Representatives, yeah. you know the uh, Republicans picked up some seats, but every openly lesbian or gay or bisexual incumbent who ran for re-election was reelected. Yeah. There were there were gay candidates all over the country mostly Democrats, a few Republicans, uh, who were not elected. Uh, in terms of uh, some of the other election news, it's very significant. Uh, Maura Healy up in Massachusetts was elected attorney general. All right. And this is the first time an openly lesbian or gay person has been elected attorney general yeah. of any state. In some states, that's an appointed position, but in most states, it's an independently elected position. So that's a big deal. She yeah. succeeds Martha Coakley who uh, was unsuccessful in her Yet campaign again. for governor. Very close, yeah. very close. And and we had a potential breakthrough that didn't eventuate when uh, Congressman Mike Michaud, who came out during his campaign for governor of Maine, uh, so, of course, he wasn't running for re-election in the House. Uh, so he was uh, beaten by a few percentage points by incumbent governor uh, LePage. Yeah. So we didn't get our first openly gay elected governor. Uh but in terms of the uh, LGBT legislative agenda, uh, I, I would say first, looking here in New York, uh, the state Senate went much more heavily Republican. Uh, the, the current Senate, uh, the Republicans are running things with the cooperation of a handful of uh, Democrats who uh, were uncomfortable with the Democratic leadership. And so even though the Democrats actually had a majority in the state Senate, the Republicans were running it yeah. because of uh, these renegades. Yeah. But the renegades had promised that if the Democrats won a majority in the election, they would come back across the aisle and let the Democrats run. But the Democrats were not able to do it. Uh, several recently elected Democrats uh, who were running for re-election for the first time were vanquished by Republicans upstate yeah. and on Long Island. So the Republicans have a clear majority. So the way 
to uh, enact agenda, the Gender Identity Non-Discrimination Act, and various other things that are on the agenda in New York, uh, it's going to require some negotiation with the Republicans. Yeah. Now, we have to remember that marriage equality was enacted with the Republicans running the Senate, and our uh, Sonda. our Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act was enacted with Republicans running the Senate. Yeah. There, there are enough moderate Republicans in the New York State Senate that you can put together a majority the issue is getting it to the floor yeah. because the Republican caucus, when the Republicans are running the chamber, decides what goes to the floor. All right. And we don't have a majority in the caucus. So here's a, here's a case where we can see whether Governor Andrew Cuomo can step up and do the magic that he did in 2011 with the marriage equality bill. And uh, there's a, a very interesting political story playing out in New York because Governor Cuomo had sought also the line of the Working Families Party. And uh, that was heavily contested, and they didn't want to give it to him. And then he negotiated a deal with them uh, that a lot of the issues that they were interested in, he would be sure to put on his legislative agenda. And so they gave him uh, the ballot line. Uh, but then part of the deal was that he was going to work very hard to elect a Democratic Senate. And he really didn't. He, did, he didn't do a lot of campaigning. Uh, he sort of left it to New York Mayor Bill de Blasio to go out and do campaigning on behalf of Democratic Senate candidates. Uh, and uh, Cuomo held back, and, and the speculation, part of the reason he held back, was a likelihood or a possibility that the Republicans would still control the chamber, and he wanted to preserve a working relationship with them rather than running out and campaigning against Republicans. Well, and some people are even more cynical, say he likes the Republicans. You know, because he plays, he plays off the Senate against the yeah. Assembly, and uh, he's sort of the, the deciding vote. And supposedly keeps the two liberal things from right. uh, coming up. Well, so. well, the point is he's governed mainly from the center. On, on some social issues, he's governed from the left, right. on women's issues, on gay issues. Uh, but he's governed from the center on a lot of financial issues yeah. uh, that are important in the state. Uh, so he's probably perfectly happy to have the Senate being run by the, the Republicans. But whether he can work uh, an enactment of gender, that's an issue. Yeah. Now, on, on the federal stage, uh, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act is not going to get through a totally Republican there was one interesting thing I saw floated by uh, Congressman Chris Gibson upstate, who was running against uh, an openly gay candidate, who he beat by 30 points. <laughs> but uh, he floated this idea, and maybe it was just election rhetoric or what have you, but he had said maybe we should attach ENDA to a uh, defense authorization bill, and which would make it a must-pass piece yeah, of legislation. But, but to attach it, you need a vote to attach it. Right. You know, I'm not saying this is going to happen. Just uh, yeah, the well, one that might be the one possible but, way it but would. But there's also, uh, I mean, there was there was a lot of discontent with the version of ENDA that passed the Senate, uh, especially when the issue of religious exemptions really blew up yeah. earlier this year after the Hobby Lobby decision right. by the Supreme Court. Uh, so, uh, human rights campaign is now saying we want to reconceptualize our federal bill. We want to go back to what we had before the Employment Non Discrimination Act. In the old days, what we had was a big omnibus federal civil rights bill yeah. for, for lesbian and gay people. Nowadays, it would be for lesbian and gay, bisexual, transgender people. And why should we just focus on employment? Why shouldn't we cover housing? Why shouldn't we cover public accommodations and federal services? And then make it a universal bill like the Civil Rights Act of 64 was. Uh, and since we have little chance of getting anywhere in either house in the current Congress, why don't we devote our efforts to framing a 
proper bill, getting as many co-sponsors as we can, get it introduced, and then work very hard to try to uh, tip the Congress the other way in 2016 yeah. when we'll have a presidential campaign and bring out many of those voters who stay home for the midterms. Yeah. Uh, Democrats are generally speculated to be disproportionately disadvantaged in the midterms because younger voters and minorities are less likely to turn out. Yeah, and we saw that big time. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, the in, in terms of the federal government, uh, there are still things that the Obama administration can do administratively over the next two years. I should also say something about uh, confirmations. Um, now that we've got a circuit split in the Sixth Circuit, it's looking like uh, maybe at least for the right to marry case, we don't have to worry as much about a change in the Supreme Court. But, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, is, what do the elections mean for con- confirming judges and Supreme Court justices? Well, those are actually two different questions when we look at federal judges because yeah. uh, under the nuclear option that was invoked by the Democrats last year, one needs only a majority vote in the Senate uh, to confirm a presidential appointee. Now, it's possible that the new Republican majority uh, that takes office in January in the Senate will change that and revert back to the rule that essentially requires 60 votes to uh, close debate and uh, bring up a floor vote on a, a presidential nominee. But that uh, nuclear option did not apply to the Supreme Court. Uh, so. Uh, especially now that the Republicans will be controlling the confirmation process in the Senate, uh, we can speculate that President Obama is going to have a much tougher time getting confirmation of his judicial nominees, especially if uh, he's appointing someone to the Supreme Court, regardless whether uh, the first vacancy on the court is due to a Democratic appointee or a Republican appointee leaving. We can imagine that uh, Supreme Court confirmation in the final two years of the Obama administration would be an incredibly intensely political, contentious process. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, Sixth Circuit's decision to reject the marriage equality claims uh, from four states, actually it moves us faster to the Supreme Court most likely, which means that it would probably be a Supreme Court made up of the same personnel who decided the Windsor case in which case we can be very optimistic about the likely outcome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Arch. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. To read the latest issue of Law Notes, please become a member of Legal or a Law Notes subscriber by visiting www.le-gal.org. This and future podcasts can also be found online in iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Please take a moment to give us lots of stars there if you like the podcast. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBT Bar NY or find us on Facebook. Thanks again, and we'll see you in December.